When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Four score and seven episodes ago, Sadie Carpenter and I, Gabrielle Hakoen, brought forth on this internet a new podcast and dedicated to the proposition of freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Now we are engaged in a great podcasting war, testing whether that podcast or any podcast so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Actually, we're not in a, we're not really in a great podcast war. We're not? Well, I mean, we're in a minor <laughs> podcast battle, but we're not, in, we're not in a great, I wouldn't call it a great uh, podcast war. We, um, we wrote that line before. We wrote that line before certain tweets anything, were tweeted. Anything, um, man. <laughs> but the, the real war that we're in, Gavi, is the war against misinformation, the war against behavior control, information control, emotion control, and thought control. And today we are gathered on a great battlefield of the war against information control. If you haven't guessed by now, we are continuing our back to school special series with a look into American history. Gabby, did you have to memorize the Gettysburg Address in school? 
No. Or if they really? like, if they wanted us to memorize it, I just didn't do it. Um, oh. There's like, see, you know, when I was in school, there's a lot of things that we were quote unquote supposed to do that I didn't because I didn't want to, which is like my parents, if they listen to this episode, they will confirm that like 100%. So like, whereas I was in yeah. school uh, doing extra credit and writing papers that were not assigned to me just because I was bored. And that habit definitely didn't continue into <laughs> adulthood. Uh, no, but if I ever needed that the did not, yeah. did not at all continue into my sociology or my so sociology paper from a couple terms ago in college that was twice the required length. <laughs> it was really good though. It was about um, it was about. Uh. Whether students who are in seminary are hazed and whether that process turns out abusive pastors when they graduate seminary. That's fascinating. It was a really good paper. It's on our Patreon if you want to see it. Well, actually, I think we should talk about that at some point in the future. But anyway, I wanted to say that if I ever needed the Gettysburg Address and I could just Google it. Or you uh, could just ask me. True, you could ask somebody who actually had done the homework and memorized it because you know that's that's what you do. You're that would have okay community. if we went to school together. I feel like that would have been us though. Yeah, like I, like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> ask Sadie, and then be yeah, like, but I want to know if you know. Well, Sadie won't be there always. Are you telling me that we're not going <laughs> to be friends forever? <laughs> and then it's like a last day of school montage, and there's a, a, an emotional song playing. I will remember. You. Oh, I was going for Don't You Forget About Me in my head. Oh, okay. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I did have to memorize the Gettysburg Address. I can't remember now if it was under ACE or ABECA. My recollection is I feel like both ACE and ABECA have students memorize it. So I would have memorized it under ACE. And then when we switched to ABECA curriculum for high school, uh, I would have already known it and not had to re-memorize it. But I'm really, I'm not 100% on that. I'm fairly sure that that was the case. But I am not going to quote the Gettysburg Address today uh, because we have a lot to get into. Yes, 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 yes. We do have a lot to get into today um, because this is the Leaving Eden podcast, which is the podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult uh, in which she was raised. And we like to talk about this cult. We talk about other cults sometimes, uh, fundamentalism in general, a lot of talk about religion. Uh, but we really like to talk about how, like, you know, cult ideologies are a danger to society as a whole. And we seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, you can go on to patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast and you will get access to extended and uncensored episodes of the show, uh, which are fun. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Uh, you can join our subreddit, which we have now that now has more than 100 subscribers to it, which is what? excellent. Yes. Oh, I got great. a notification. I missed that. I got a notification yesterday. It said that you have 100 subscribers in your subreddit. So that is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Both of these are great places if you want to talk with other fans, you know, just post stuff related to the show or fundamentalism in general um, i made a um a pretty big sticky post in the subreddit that is a fundy terms glossary 
Yes. And that oh, was yes. suggested by some awesome listeners who are subreddit members. Like I, I've had extensive online communication with those people, although I don't know who they are. Um, but they uh, well, we feel like we know them. At yeah. This point. Like I feel like I know these people, but I only know them by their Reddit usernames. <laughs> so um, that's <laughs> so it, it's it's a it's an interesting relationship. I feel like they're very close to me, but also um, I have this you know like a ridiculous made up name for them in my head. Because it's just their Reddit <laughs> username. Cool listeners in the subreddit suggested that we do a terms glossary. It is up. I have the first maybe like 20, 30 terms in there. I didn't count. If there are terms that you think should be added to it, comment on that post. I can put them right in. And hopefully that'll be a resource that we can even share with other people to, who are wondering what this or that weird fundy terminology means. That'll be useful for me even because a lot of this stuff is stuff that I don't know. So you'll like, although, you yeah, know, usually you, if you I don't know something. me all the time, like, what is this? What is that? Yeah. So, but like, I, I think a lot of times, you know, if we're talking about something on an episode and there's a term that I don't know or I didn't know before we started doing the show, I will ask you to define it just so that everybody knows what it is and so we can talk about it. Like, I forget that, that there like are terms that you don't know. Yeah. And I think some of those might come up in this one. I don't know. Um, well, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. Moving on to our topic today, which is American history. Is it Sadie? Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess about you. Okay. Oh, I love your guesses about me. Yeah. I'm going to guess something that cuts to the core of your character. I'm going to guess that you loved history class. I'm going to guess that it was one of your best and favorite subjects in school. You are absolutely right that I love yes! history. Of course, yes. uh, still do. I did well in it in school. I think I maybe underachieved a little bit because I didn't feel like I really needed to try. Hmm. Because the dates and like remembering names and dates is really easy for me. And it was even easier before I had my concussion. I didn't tr maybe try as hard or overachieve as much in history class in school, but I did love it. If there's any good news for this episode, it is that my history education was in a lot of ways, comparatively better than my science education. So an ACE? Oh, no. ACE history is just straight trash, um, hmm. which we're going to get into, of course. In high school, my school switched, switched over to a Becca, which we have not done a full profile on yet, but are certainly going to. Uh, a Becca is the other super common fundy curriculum behind ACE. And then there are other smaller curriculums that people use as well, like Bill Gothard's Wisdom Booklets. But those, Abeka and ACE are the big two. Once hmm. we switched over to Abeka for high school, which coincided with me going into high school, I had a, a sort of okay history education, like adequ adequate. Mm. Abeka is, both ACE and Abeka are heavily just spun. They, the information is very biased. But Abeka has more like, you know, true information, which is great. So all of my history education was a real mixed bag of things that are correct and misinformation. But I don't know, maybe there's more correctness than than you might imagine. Okay, well, that's good because they can't get away with just not teaching you history. They have to like teach you some history. <laughs> yeah, so. they can't get away. They can get away with just not teaching you anything. 
Just so you know. Forgetting. Yeah. We talked about homeschool law. Do we want to like sort of do like a general overview and then of, of like how it worked and then go into like some major U.S. history events and like figures in chronological order? Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds like it would work. Let's talk about let's make sure we hit classroom settings, what tests look like. Let's compare our classroom experiences with history um, and then we'll go more into the topics and what I learned about them and if there's anything different that I've learned since uh, becoming an adult. That sounds good. Okay. So one thing I just want to reiterate, and I think this is one of the major takeaways from our back to school series, is that having a good teacher can take a subject from being like boring or like just okay to being a really exciting and enjoyable and engaging class. And so my 11th grade teacher for AP US history was really excellent. On this show, Sadie and I stand hard for teachers and educators in general, and we think that you guys are the best. Yes, we absolutely do. Yes. But in ACE, you're right. You don't have teachers. So what you do is you get a booklet. It looks like a magazine, but made out of newsprint. It's it's like magazine size and shape, but it's not glossy. And it's maybe for an elementary school book, it's maybe 30, 34 pages long. For a high school, it's uh, 60 to 72 pages long, like a thick magazine. And you read a few pages of information in this little booklet. And then on the next page, you answer questions about the information that you just read. And then you get permission from your supervisor, who is the quote unquote teacher, who just sits at their desk and gives people permission to go to the bathroom and and check their work all day. Um, You get permission from your supervisor. You go to a cabinet. You pick out uh, an answer key. So I'm trying not to use the ACE jargon. It's tripping me up. You pick up an answer key for your book. You go to a certain table in the middle of the room. You correct your work in red pen or mark your mistakes in red pen. You put the answer key away. You go back to your desk. You fix your mistakes. And then you repeat the whole process with um, asking permission to go check your work. You go check your work. If you got everything right, then you move on to the next section where you read a couple of pages and then answer questions on what you just read. It's it's very repetitive and it's it's um, intended to train children for being office workers If you haven't heard our ACE episode, definitely go check that out. So ACE history is just finding the answers to the questions and then remembering enough of them to pass the test. And then once you've passed the test, you immediately forget all of them because there is just no mental stimulation at all. Zilch. And so it's mostly just names and dates. Yeah, um, some terms too. So you need to learn the definition of constitutional amendment or the definition of democracy. And there's no real variety of assignments either. It's just either fill in the blank or it's multiple choice. Yeah, so it's read this passage and then fill in the blank, or sometimes there's a multiple choice, or if you get really lucky, there's maybe a matching section, which is so fun. I used to um, love matching sections in ACE because they were the most interesting part of my day because I could take a ruler and make like designs in the matching section. (laughs) Like, make sure my lines were perfectly straight, and then after it was scored, I could do, like, a like a geometric design around it. That was the most interesting part of my day. Save those for last, man. That's the fun stuff, right? No, there. you would, yeah. because because you get to choose what, what order you do your subjects in for the day. So mm. I would save that because I wanted to, like, draw and make it fancy because doing yeah. a filling out a matching section was the best part of my day in AC. Like, I don't remember as much from history as I do from other subjects. And I think this is actually extremely telling because I talked on our ACE episode about being the ideal ACE student. Children 
all have different abilities. They all have places in their development that they're ahead and places that they are not ahead. And that's all a part of the normal variation of child development. But I was uniquely suited to be an ACE student. I read early. I could entertain myself. I really didn't mind being sat at a desk with nothing to do but fill out schoolwork for eight hours a day. So if I, being pretty much as naturally suited to ACE as anybody could ever be, if I don't remember anything from my history education, I imagine that pretty much nobody remembers anything from their history education in ACE. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I really, I would really be concerned about what other people remember if I remember so little. So did you, okay, did you remember the big stuff or if there was like a historical figure that you learned about that you really liked that you were like, oh, I, I want to learn everything about this person. I, I remember a bunch about this person. But then I guess it, it would make it really difficult to contextualize and then take the lessons from those events, wouldn't it? So I don't recall learning about so many individuals in depth in ACE history specifically. I I know that Lincoln was very heavily featured, but people like, I don't know, Betsy Ross, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, other important presidents and founding fathers and historical figures, it wasn't biographical. It was just focused on like the one thing that they did that was important to the American story. The okay, this is how I want to how I want to phrase this. The historical figures weren't main characters in the story. America was the main character. And everything was from the perspective of like only what this person did in reference to America was important. Huh. I mean, that's not the worst. I don't want to say that's the worst thing because it's I because I, I understand and I low key agree with the perspective of, you know, taking the position that idolizing historical figures is bad because they're human and the best way to learn from them is to look at the choices that they had and the decisions that they made but it seems like this is more from the perspective of this thing happened and here's who we have to talk about to make it make sense and then we're going to move on and not worry about it i think the i think the perspective of america being the main character is not atypical for history taught to elementary students anyway I was also getting all of this supplemental history knowledge from my dad, who is a big history buff, from people who worked for our school. Even though your supervisors aren't teachers, you, they still maybe have an education degree. They, they also maybe are passionate about some part of education, and that's why they volunteer at the school. So I was hearing um, if somebody who worked for the school or volunteered for the school or went to our church had a special interest in some part of history, they would be telling me about it. So I was getting all this supplemental knowledge that wasn't coming from my paces. In ACE, I think that world history was a, a pretty sparse before ninth grade. But I'm wondering if that's normal or if that's something that they do. Like, do they teach world history from a younger age in public school? Uh, I don't know, Egypt, the Caesars and Assyrians and Attila the Hun and Charlemagne and War of the Roses, like all that. So I remember in middle school learning a lot about ancient civilizations. I remember learning a lot about China. In eighth grade, especially, I remember for some reason learning all of the Chinese dynasties and, and Genghis Khan and also about like Confucianism. There was like we had a whole unit on China in eighth grade, which I thought was interesting, uh, deeply fascinating. But I also don't remember all of the details because it was like almost 15 years ago. Jesus, man. <laughs> I know. That makes that makes me yeah. feel old too. Uh, I found a list. So here's something that might be interesting to, to get us more in the swing of this. I found a list of things taught in second grade social studies paces. Um, in ACE, it's social studies 
not history. I, th- I think we called it that too. I don't know. Uh, Fundies usually hate the word social because it makes them think of socialism. I don't know. That always stuck out to me as a kid. I, I always thought that was a little bit weird. Here's what's covered in second grade though. Travel maps, signs, the compass, camping, and directions, our country, freedom, the capital, our president, citizenship, flags and pledges, famous buildings, Washington, D.C., George Washington, and rules and laws, communities, farms, and ranches, fruits, and orchards. This is what? This is for second grade? Second grade. That doesn't seem inappropriate for second grade. Yeah, that sounds like totally normal. Here's third grade. Different forms of communication, telephone, telegram, languages, sign language, braille, microphones, audio recording, the printing press, and prayer. Conservation of water and land use in the natural resources, water and gas. Geography, continents on the map and globe, Spain and Israel. Different types of communities, businesses and agriculture, farms and products. American history, Christopher Columbus, colonization, slavery, George Washington Carver, and our government. So far, this seems like normal. I mean, the addition of prayer is a little odd, but this seems normal for third grade. But here's what's also in third grade history. Joseph, Moses, Cain, and Abel, and God's laws to accept whatever happens is God's best and to do good and to do right. Can we sidebar real quick, though? Yeah, let's do it. Because there's something I want to bring up is that I like... I get that George Washington Carver was a deeply fascinating and monumental historical figure, but I also feel like schools go f***ing ham on George Washington Carver. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember in third grade having a whole unit on George Washington Carver. But didn't he, like, he had a big part in restoring the South with his farming techniques. Yeah, but all I remember about him was that he invented peanut butter. So try teaching a third grader about soil depletion and like nitrates and they will have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I also remember learning that he invented peanut butter, which in my book makes him one of the greatest people ever. Thanks George Washington Carver for inventing peanut butter. Yes. According to the, the, here's, here's the, the twist for the paces. According to paces, he took the biblical principles of crop rotation and used that to learn about nitrates. And um, that's how he pretty much single-handedly changed the agricultural future of the South. That's This is what I'm saying about, like, it's mostly correct or almost correct. ACE still gives George Washington Carver credit for being really great and, and really important, but they also say that he was great and important because he listened to God. Well, I see, here's the thing. I think George Washington Carver, undoubtedly cool guy, deeply important, great man. But teaching third graders about him when all they can understand is that he's the peanut butter guy is just, I think, an odd decision. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he saved millions of people's livelihoods. All anybody is going to remember about him is peanut butter. I mean, that, that's all they remember from third grade. Like, I remember my teacher... It was like we learned all about George Washington Carver. And then somebody gets up and asks my teacher, um, are we going to learn about the guy who invented jelly next? Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, because like that's the, the third graders comprehension of these events. Yeah. It was like, OK, what crop rotation? I don't know what cro- I'm third. I'm in third grade. I'm like 10. I don't know how crop rotation works, but this guy made peanut butter. OK, well, what about the guy who made jelly? So I I actually want to get into two things. Do it. Number one is that before we go any further with this topic, I want to make it clear that I think American history education in general is really lacking 
it it's not just I, I feel like a lot of these education episodes may seem like I'm bashing ACE and I am because it's terrible. Uh, and I would literally write a curriculum myself before letting my child be educated by ACE. That's how bad it is. But it's not just ACE. I think American hist- American education and American history education specifically is lacking. And I want to tell a story to illustrate that. When I was at Hiles Anderson, I volunteered tutoring at Hammond High School. I tutored public school students who were in danger of failing classes and being held back or not being able to graduate. At the time we started working with them, the graduation rates were so low that the government was about to pull funding from the school. And there were a couple key issues that were causing people not to graduate. Uh, Teen pregnancy was a big one. Uh, General truancy was another big problem. And there was also the issue that state and local law, whatever they were working with, you could only repeat you could only repeat two grades in high school. So if you didn't graduate at 18, you could repeat a grade and try to graduate at 19. When you turned 20, that was your last chance. So if you didn't pass your high school classes by then, you were done. You didn't get to graduate. You didn't get a, to to uh, have a high school diploma. And all you could do is really try to get a GED or something like that. Right. So yeah. so these issues were making uh, the graduation rate just almost incomprehensibly low in Hammond High School. Oh, it's got to be abysmal. I think I don't I don't want to give a number because I'm not sure if I'm remembering correctly, but it was it was it was take your breath away bad uh, is is what I remember. And, you know, there's some states where they would like have a really bad graduation rate, but they would like lie about it. Or there was a way of fudging the statistics where they could mm-hmm. lie about it. And so I assume they weren't doing that. So, you know, you were seeing the actual numbers. Uh, in one of the few things that I ever did in the cult that I'm actually proud of, Hiles Anderson sent education students who had good grades and were doing well to go volunteer at Hammond High School uh, uh, one afternoon a week to try to get the graduation rate up. So we were just there to help kids with anything they needed help with. We had the prep materials for the tests that they had to take to pass grades, but anything, but anything they needed tutoring with, they could come get help with. When I was tutoring there, I met this student. So this person was in 10th grade AP history. And we had one of our class hours, we would just have a tutoring room set up in a study hall. And anybody who needed help with any topic could come in the tutoring room and just find somebody who could who could help them. So she walked into my tutoring room one class hour and she said, well, I'm struggling with history. And I was really there to teach math and English, but I didn't have a student that hour. And I thought, okay, well, I know enough about history. I can probably help out. 10th grade AP history, she just said she was really struggling and just couldn't get her mind around the material and felt like she was so far behind. And I want to make it clear that this was just a clearly intelligent teenage girl. She was sharp. She was with it. She was just, but but everything you can tell from just meeting a person or every external appearance, she was just really smart. And she just felt so overwhelmed and behind with history that she was having trouble even describing to me where she, like, where she felt like she was behind. So I sat her down to try to get an idea of where she was and what she knew and what she needed to learn. I thought I'd ask her some basic questions like, what decade was the Civil War in? And she didn't know. So I asked her, who was president during the Civil War? 
I was thinking, you know, we're in Indiana. We're right across the border from Illinois. Illinois is land of Lincoln. Surely she's been on a field trip to some Lincoln-related site. Surely she knows this. She didn't know who was president during the Civil War. So I asked her who the first president was, and she really thought about it. And she was able to come up with George Washington. And I am not making any kind of statement about this girl's intelligence. Intelligence? She was not unintelligent. She had just never been taught this stuff in a way that she could comprehend or a way that was retained for her. And she was a, a bright, intelligent AP 10th grader who couldn't name Abraham Lincoln. And she she was in AP U.S. history. Yep. Wow. I mean, no wonder she was struggling because I took that class. And um, this is one of the things is like the AP classes. They're pretty much the same class nationwide. I took that class. It was not an easy class by any means. No wonder she was struggling. Yeah. And she just got dumped into it with no history background. Somebody's like, oh, you're smart. Take take this AP class uh, and it'll look good when you apply to college. And then she like is like totally lost. Yeah. And no matter how smart you wow. are, if you have never been taught this stuff, how how can you function in an AP history class? No, you can't. There, like, there's no there's no way she could be expected to do well. And she just she was so overwhelmed and just didn't even know where to start. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was, this is a real moment for me. So I sat down with her and I sat down with a piece of paper, just a piece of notebook paper. And I took about an hour and just wrote down the, the barest details about, okay, Columbus, 1492, Pilgrim, 1607, Plymouth Rock, 1620, a century of being colonies. And then we got the Revolutionary War. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, so some big battles in the Revolutionary War where Saratoga and Yorktown. Uh, the Articles of the Confederation were precursor to the Continental Congress, which brought forth the Constitution. Uh, after the Constitution, we became a new country. George Washington was the first president. And after that, we had, I don't know, 60 years of isolationism. Uh, we had the Civil War. We had the Industrial Revolution. After the Civil War, uh, the Industrial Revolution was convenient because it prepared us for World War One. Uh, after World War One, we fell into the Great Depression. That's when Pre- President Roosevelt comes along. Uh, the World War Two pulled us out of the Great Depression, but we lost a lot of lives. The fifties were very prosperous after that, uh, and then in the sixties we went to Vietnam. And this was all like brand new information to her. Wow. Yeah, it was like all of that stuff that I just said was what she was like. Oh, really? Just had no idea. Because I, I, took, I took the AP history class. And even if, like, if that was your basis for knowledge, you would, like, even if you went into, like, the test or went into any homework assignment just with that, then you would still be hosed. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, like, basic knowledge. If you just have, like, that, then and you then went into the AP. she didn't even yeah. have the basic. No. The basic knowledge to contextualize the things that they actually teach in AP history class. She did not have the framework of this is the way that the, the American history has gone so far. I'm trying to wrap my head around how somebody could make it to that level and have not learned this stuff. Um, I mean, but it just must not have been like, I guess this is my experience. And I, I don't know how universal this is. But when I was uh, but this is definitely true in my experience is that everyone, you know, comes into high school in ninth grade 
and this is not necessarily a good thing, but this is just sort of a thing that happens. But everyone comes into high school in ninth grade and we're all in classes together, right? If, at least if you go to public school. Uh, and then in 10th or 11th grade, things sort of start to coalesce and the school sort of divides in two. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So the school will divide in two where there's the kids who are going to go to college and there's the kids who aren't. And the kids who are going to go to college will try to take the AP classes and the kids who aren't won't. And as kids, you know, we all sort of like know who's who. And you get this sort of understanding and some of the kids get a bit of an attitude about this. And I don't think that this is like necessarily right. But in my experience, this is definitely true. So I'm just trying to put myself in her position. She must have been dying, like trying to, you know, be like, okay, I'm one of these kids who's really going to try to, you know, who's going to. And then you get into this class with all the other kids and you're just like so like in over your head and out of your element she must have been dying and i'm sure through no fault of her own just because she never had any like historical context for any of this stuff that was that experience experience just shook me up and i think it it's probably obvious that it's still it's been um that has been 10 years this month or next month yeah it should be obvious that that really affected me it made me believe that we need to, number one, reconsider what is considered basic history information. I you know, I can't guess whether that person just had terrible teachers and she was taught the material, but it didn't stick because her teachers were just uninteresting or uninspiring or just bad teachers. I, I also couldn't guess if maybe it was because the curriculum was bogged down with a lot of unnecessary things and the important details didn't stick. And and there are many other reasons due to teachers and curriculum and school policies and, and, and that could be the reason that this person just never learned history well. But I really wonder what, you know, what of those it could be. I do think that as we move on in the world, it's okay to let some of the details of history fall out of the awareness as far as being in elementary school classes. Um, I don't think memorizing the names of Civil War generals is a problem, but I don't think it's important for a kid's education. Um, I think a kid needs to know the facts of the Civil War and how it affected the country. But if they need to know the names of the generals or the names of the battles outside of, I don't know, maybe Gettysburg, if they're interested, they can Google and read and learn more. But I think there needs to be a standardized, basic history of our country and of the world that children need to learn. Well, maybe, you know, there's a lot of possibilities for what happened with her. I, maybe she moved around a lot as a kid and she didn't really have that consistency, you know? Right. So so maybe if she moved from state to state, she could have moved from a state where they were studying world history in fourth grade to a, a state where they study American history in fourth grade to a state where they study agricultural. A- Local history. <laughs> agriculture. I can't, I can't Yeah, because fourth grade, I remember we did Oregon State history, and so we did mm-hmm. Oregon Trail, Lewis and Clark, like that was what... Hmm. But, I mean, yeah, maybe history just wasn't her subject, or maybe she was, like, really good at math, but not good at history. Um, so that's sort of where she was going to do, because, I mean, not everybody needs to be an expert in everything. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. I do think that there needs to be more standardization across the American education system of like a more basic, smaller list 
um, of things that people absolutely need to know to graduate or even to get through elementary school. Uh, I think I I am not saying that that list should be expansive or extensive, but I think that a, a very basic list of things that everybody should know would be helpful in this situation. If you don't really learn about history, then a lot of times you're going to end up you end up with a lot of people who learn about history from like Instagram infographics, which is a terrible way to learn about history because it's really easy for people to just make up or like Mm -hmm. put things in a slanted historical context uh, to prove the point that they're trying to make about something going on now. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Like the or they'll they'll take facts and events out of their broader historical context and then be like, this is an example of X Y Z thing. So if and, you want to yeah. talk about slanted historical context, we can go back to ACE history. Yeah, let's go do that. Um. So, but you have a very good point there about people uh, learning history from uh, a, a lot from infographics. Not that there's anything wrong with learning. You know, people posting history in on social media i think that's any learning that you can do along with your social media ing is good but uh, also please check your sources if you want to talk about saying things without sources and heavily slanted educational philosophy would you like to go back to ace history yeah let's talk about ace history okay So this is a theme that is going to come through in this entire episode. What I want to say about the the George Washington Carver emphasis, learning about George Washington Carver is good. He was important American and a credit to the American people. But what ACE teaches us is that all he did was listen to God and obey. It's not centered on George Washington Carver. It's not centered on what he did for America, and it's not even centered on his strong faith in God. It's centered on his obedience. Mm. If it was teaching like George Washington Carver was great uh, because he was a Christian, that would be not my taste, not what I would want taught to my children, but it is... That's fine. That's fine. If that's what you want to teach to your kids, whatever. It's teaching George Washington Carver was great because he was a Christian and because he followed the rules. See, that tracks that's a much bigger problem. I'm sure there was a time in American education when we didn't learn about George Washington Carver because stories about like interesting and brilliant black people wouldn't get told. Mm -hmm. So when they're they're going to teach about somebody they're like okay well maybe we should start talking about like interesting and brilliant black people uh, as part of us history because that's part of us history but you know if you're like in in, in like ace or something they're not going to teach you about somebody who's like politically radical you know what i'm saying right. so they're going to teach you about this guy who's like a genius professor and agricultural scientist who invented peanut butter and he's extremely significant but also he's not going to offend anybody's sensibilities You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's kind of all of Christian education. I think that's common in Christian education in general. Um, Of course, I wish they would teach about the political radicals. Uh, Of course, I'm going to be angry if Marsha P. Johnson isn't in my daughter's history textbook one day. In any generic Christian school history curriculum, having George Washington Carver in there is something. 
like that that's cool yeah fine. fine but it's just like how we talked about last week uh when you got to learn about phyllis wheatley but only about how she was super christian right the emphasis on this person being christian it is not just about their faith it's about it's meant to push students in a certain direction of behavior that's my problem with it my problem is not that they're mentioning that this person was christian or even teaching about it in a history book that's just a that's my that's not my preference but i i don't i'm not gonna go out and have a problem with that what i have a problem with is using that person's story and that person's christianity to attempt to influence students behavior what i want to point out though is that when people advocate for christian education They phrase it like they just want to say, well, George Washington Carver was great because he was a Christian. That's what they say they want to do, but that's not the case. They want to insert brainwashing into it. They want to say in their textbook, George Washington Carver was great because he was a Christian and because he followed the rules and followed God's laws. So it's inserting behavior control and guilt into history class. And that's that's what I have a problem with because people who are proponents of this type of Christian education hide their intentions behind something much more innocent. That's what I have. That's what I really have a problem with. If a historical figure was heavily influenced by their religious beliefs, that is absolutely essential information. But teaching only about that is complete and utter nonsense. Now that I got myself all worked up, uh, I I want to talk about a couple more grade overviews from ACE. Would you like to take a break here or would you like to come back or do that in a couple minutes? No, let's just do a break here. Uh, we'll take up the offering and then we'll come back and talk more about ACE. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. (laughs) The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back. We're here to talk about more ACE stuff. And I just want to say, Sadie, uh, it is a miracle that you saved all of these materials. I am glad that we have a record of it. 
So, yeah, so I have some things saved. Uh, a lot of this is also coming from the internet. I just know where to find it. If any, but by the way, if anybody has a, a bunch of paces lying around, let me know. The wisdom, build authored wisdom booklets are all online, and I was just not able to find that kind of extensive scanning for paces. So, here's the fourth grade ACE overview. Expands geography knowledge, including how the earth moves, kinds of land and water in major countries. Learn more about maps, globes, directions, distances, latitude and longitude. Anyway, modes of transportation. Early America, including colonial life, the Indians of New England, the Aka Indians, John Bunyan, Coronado, and the Pilgrims, Christian leaders and missionaries in American history, biblical heroes, and appreciation for religious freedom in America. Mm. So right back to my point, this is typical in a lot of ways, like maps, globes, colonial life, whatever, things that kids ought to be learning in school. But then there's this heavy, heavy emphasis on Christian leaders and missionaries, biblical heroes, and appreciation for religious freedom. Religious freedom, of course, uh, being spun to mean freedom to be Christian. Not so big on the freedom to be atheist or Muslim in America. I guess that's the sort of thing that you have to read between the lines about. Reading through these has definitely jarred my memory more on what they focused a lot of time on in these pieces. I know that David Livingstone had a really, really long biographical bit. Um, Livingstone was a was a missionary in Africa. So it, it's not getting a lot of the historical facts blatantly wrong. There's just an extreme dominionist Christian spin on absolutely everything and then an extensive Bible section in your history books. That doesn't really surprise me, though, because like, what, what are we in fourth grade? We're nine, ten years old. That's just awfully young to be really indoctrinated with this kind of spin. The, the issue is that if you're eight or nine or ten years old, you're too young to realize that you are being indoctrinated. And this is why I don't think this kind of Christian education is good for kids. It, it's not because it's, it's nothing to do with whether they teach Christian values like love your neighbor and don't steal and turn the other cheek. It, it's not it's nothing to do with that. It's because I have never seen a Christian curriculum without radioactive levels of Christian dominionism and brainwashing. See, I strongly believe that it's up to the parents to decide whether or not they want to give their kids a religious education. But that can't ever come at the expense of getting like a regular, like a standard education. And right. it would be, yeah, it would be doing children a disservice and leaving them less prepared to be successful in the world. That is that is exactly what I'm saying. Um, I'm I'm going to get more into this in, in in a few minutes in this episode. But I have I have opinions about Christian education. I don't have a back to David Livingston though. I don't have a copy either of the pace uh, the, or the test that mentioned him. So this is completely just based on my memories. The test for the pace that mentions David Livingston. You might see a question like. A globe is made using the blank projection. And then there's also a question that David Livingston was a missionary to Africa and named blank falls. See, these are factoids. This is trivia. These are like questions on Jeopardy. This isn't like a comprehensive history education. 
trivia is a great way to, to describe an ACE education. Uh, a lot of us are really good at Jeopardy because you learn to just like spout out answers and fill in blanks. My, my point here is how much more history could I have learned or how much better of an understanding of the global economy could I have had if I didn't spend half of my history education learning about Christian heroes who had little to do with the primary facts of history? I don't care. If parents want their children to learn about David Livingston, fine. If you're a Christian and his story is important to you and you think your kids should know it, feel free. I have no issue with somebody telling their kid that story. Teach them. Buy them Christian children's books about him. If there isn't a Christian children's book about about David Livingston, write one. But beyond a mention, a full biography of him does not belong in a child's history book at the expense of a deeper knowledge of the more basic concepts in history. So <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a huge rant, but that's, that's I think, the conclusion that we're both kind of coming to. So these are the topics for the sixth grade social studies paces. The New World After the Flood, The Tower of Babel, The Times of the Patriarchs, Civilization from circa 2000 to 500 BC, The Assyrian and New Babylonian Empires, The Silent Years, The Rebuilding of Jerusalem, Great Christian Leaders from AD 100 to AD 430 and from AD 1300 to AD 1500, and The Great Awakening in America. Heroes from the Bible, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and the Exodus, Samuel, and the birth, life, and death of Christ. Character development through examples given in each pace, Christian leaders and missionaries in American history, including Ignatius, Irenaeus, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, William Tennant, Polycarp, John Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, John and Charles Wesley, Gilbert Tennant, Justin Martyr, John Huss, John Knock, John Knox, Jesus, John Knox, George Whitfield, and Circuit Preachers. John Denver and John Jacob <laughs> Jingleheimer Schmidt as well. Yes. Um, so sixth, sixth grade is pretty much entirely about Christianity. And like that's what it looks like, though. Entirely about Christianity. Yeah. That's like that's all you're learning in history class. Wow. Well, yeah. it's not history, it's social studies, but mm. but yeah, these are these are people at Christian schools whose kids are already taking mandatory Bible courses. They're already in chapel a couple times a week, but they're taking an entire grade level in one subject to just teach Christian history. And if you're IFB and they're teaching you in history class about the birth, life, and death of Christ, like, you already know that. You, right. You've had that drilled into you since you were born. Like, yikes. I mean, but we, you know, we've shown many times on this show that when it comes to learning about things like, you know, the Great Awakening, and this is something I wanted to say, um, is that when it comes to learning things about, like, Great Awakening, these circuit preachers, stuff like that, which are undoubtedly an, Amer uh, an important part of American history, Right. Right. These, I mean, your education when it comes to that stuff was top tier. I remember you had me watch Sheffy. I did not understand the historical context for that movie one bit, but you had the historical context to make that movie make sense. And then you went through and explained it to me. And I actually learned a lot about 19th century American history because you explained to me what was going on in that movie. That's kind of where I'm coming from when I say that. ACE history is bad, but it could have always been worse. The, the paces don't lie 
about the material facts of those actual important parts of American history. They they misrepresent some things. Um, but okay, they when they talk about Abraham Lincoln, they don't say that John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln because he was a dirty liberal. You know, they don't they don't say that John Wilkes no. Booth shot Abraham Lincoln because Booth was not a Christian. John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln because John Wilkes Booth was a Democrat. That's <laughs> yeah, that, that not not really. Um, they no. don't they don't go to that level to just flat out lie. Another example that came to mind for me was the Trail of Tears. Um, mm, oh God, what are they going to say about this? in ACE? I d- I couldn't find a source to say exactly what they said about it. It wouldn't be presented exactly the way that I would want it taught to my daughter. It wouldn't be represented. Um, I, I'm sure that they would paint the uh, American people in a much better light than i think is accurate because it was like a ethnic cleansing is essentially what it was yeah but i do remember when that when they taught it um the paces recognized the trail of tears as something that was terrible and tragic for the people who went through it the same with the the Japanese internment camps and slavery. The, the curriculum did not go so far as to try to make excuses for those things. It also failed to place blame on any person in particular, uh, the people who perpetuated those terrible things on other people. Uh, it failed to blame them, and it failed to go as far as it should have in condemning them. Interesting. But it didn't – so I, I remember specifically that it didn't – the curriculum did not make light of the Trail of Tears. I'm certainly not saying that it's great. I feel like it could have been worse. And I, I wonder how that differs from – public school curriculum in school districts where parents are are throwing a holy hissy fit about (laughs) critical race theory like like how is that really is this really is ace history on those topics really that much worse than what they're teaching in the most conservative school districts in the country in public school yeah i mean i wouldn't know huh because i mean you know i'm from portland so Portland Public School is not exactly the most conservative district. Really? But no. But so I remember though that my AP US history teacher went on a rant for an entire class period about how much he hated Andrew Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was full of interesting nuggets though. One time he spent 20 minutes telling us about one time when he was in the army and he was extremely excited to find a Tom Clancy novel in the garbage. Art history teachers great. <laughs> yeah. History teachers have the best rabbit trails. They just like they do. They will just go off on some random topic, and it'll be the best story ever. Um, yeah, man. When I he had an, some, yeah. So later in high school, when I had an actual teacher, I had a closer experience to maybe what you had in AP history class. Um, the thing about ACE is that they have customers to please, and. A lot of them are the unmasked people spitting at teachers about critical race theory uh, in some parts of the country right now. And But ACE also has customers that are uh, less fundy than you would think, that are homeschool families that have just kind of been taken in by the, the whole, like, this is the right way to do it, do ACE. So because they have customers to please they tend to really tread lightly and really choose their words carefully around topics like the ones we were just discussing Mm. what i the distinction i want to make it's it's is that it's not ace it doesn't 
straight up lie about a lot of things, although it does twist and misrepresent a few things. My main problem is that time is wasted on things that belong in a Bible class or a Christian heritage class and not history class, and that everything is is heavily spun a very particular way. So I quit ACE history after eighth grade. My school switched over to a Becca curriculum for the high school between me being in eighth and ninth grade. Uh, so some things I took ACE up until the end of ninth grade and some things I took up till the end of eighth grade. It looks like ninth grade for ACE is world geography, 10th is world history, 11th is American history, and 12th is civics. So that's not too different from what I got, except for for me, ninth grade was world history. I didn't have a history class in 10th grade, and 11th grade is U.S. history. And 12th grade is a semester of civics and a semester of economics. That's similar to what Abeka does, too. I think I had American history in 9th, world history in 10th, government maybe in 10th or 11th. Uh, Illinois requires state history, so I had that at some point, and I don't remember what grade it was. And then I had a senior life skills class instead of another year of history, Hmm. senior year. Yeah. So what we did was that, I mean, every freshman had to take the same history class. You know, like I was saying with the English classes last week, every freshman's got to take the same world history class in ninth grade. And you only needed three history credits to graduate as opposed to four English credits. So you don't have to take a history class every year. But what a lot of kids would do, especially, you know, the kids that I hung out with, they would take AP European history in 10th grade. Um, but I didn't do this, though, because I wanted to take an extra music class. I think in my state, it was three general history credits and one state history credit. So I had to take, and because I went to a, a tiny private school, I had to go back to ACE to take the Illinois State History Paces, because ACE uh, has released a state history pace for each, uh, for each state. And I think it's just six paces instead of the normal 12 for a year. So you only have to take it half of a year. I had to take the Illinois state history paces. I believe it is the literal most boring thing I have ever done in my life. You must have loved that. No. Sitting by yourself at a desk. I did not. It's like Christmas. Um, the the, the the Illinois history paces were that bad. I am still like a little bit scarred by being that bored for that long. They also, and this is this is another cruel thing about ACE that I think I forgot to mention in the in the ACE episode. So the paces up until eighth or ninth grade are colorful. Like the, the cartoons are in color, the the covers of the books have color on them. There is there are little, you know, color images and things within the within the pace itself. And the high school paces are black and white. So Mm. you can't see anything because if it shows you a diagram of a cell and there's no color to it, it just looks like a blob, like a pixelated blob. Mm. So one, you can't see anything. But two, sitting all day in your desk looking at black and white books is awful. It's just just awful. And the Illinois State History paces are the worst. (sighs) Anyway, uh, I grabbed the description for the 11th grade American history paces just because we we seem to be kind of focusing more on ACE today. Um, And I thought it would be I thought that might be a good description to, to grab. So here's what I got. American history from the colonial period to the present. America's religious, philosophical and political background. The growth of industrialism, its background, products, benefits and the expansion of liberalism. 
from 1890 to 1914, immigration, the urban problems, rural unrest, and social reform, 1865 to 1900. Uh, and, and that's that's mm. the American history pieces. But it literally says immigration, the urban problems. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like in what and sense? The, and the expansion of liberalism. That is, that is from the this? ACE website. So let's see. It says 1890 to 1914. The, the urban – because – it's like 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. So they're saying that my great-grandparents should have been killed by the czar. <laughs> what are um, they trying to do? Are they trying to keep the Irish out? Keep the Poles out? You know? <laughs> you know they don't like their pierogies. They're standing the Chinese Exclusion Act as well. I, I, um, I, I found a, a, a more in-depth description of social studies, page 1129. Okay. Uh, which is which is the, the pace that has immigration and the urban problems in it. Okay, let me look this up. Okay. Okay, so they have a special section on Jewish immigration, European immigration, black immigration, and non-European immigration. But black immigration, hmm. Oh, that's oh a, right. That's an interesting way to put it. I wasn't able to find a PDF scan for this pace. It, because it, and it looks like ACE in general has been much more effective than Bill Gothard at keeping their materials offline. I was able to find a Quizlet post with practice questions and answers for the self-test for this pace. What's in it? Uh, oh, a lot. Um, so this Quizlet is, I have to say, it is unverified. So I can't 100% confirm that this is what is in Social Studies Pace 1129. Uh, but I do have some questions from this Quizlet. So let's, let's just see if you can answer the first one. Okay. The only group who never blank chose to come to America were black immigrants. Who never blank chose? That yes, doesn't need an answer. That does like that's that's a complete sentence right there. Yes, but you got to fill in the, the the blank because that's how you get points on the test. I don't know freely. Yes, actually, wow. that's correct. So I find it, a I find it extremely disconcerting that they refer to people who are literally kidnapped and transported as prisoners, and then consequently enslaved as quote unquote immigrants. Uh, yes. <laughs> Right, so you, this is parts of uh, speech from like diagramming sentences. Having the answer to that one question be an adverb is unnecessary. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> so like freely is the, the word freely in that sentence is the most unnecessary part of that sentence. So you could like leave that word out of the sentence and it would still make sense. I was confused for a minute when you read me that question. But still, I didn't know what I was supposed to put in the blank space. Right. Yeah. And I think hmm. this illustrates that it's not testing whether you know the information. It's testing whether you memorized that sentence effectively enough to fill in any missing word. Also, I just want to say that it's not entirely accurate because a lot of immigrant groups had to leave their countries because they were being persecuted or they were running from wars while they and, you know, while they literally weren't like shackled to the deck of a slave ship. I would not exactly call that freely either. Either True. way, this is this is not what I would call an eleventh grade a, a question on like a test in an eleventh grade history class. Well, this is here's another one from the same self test. The blank of the Bible is an English literary masterpiece. Is it the King James version? Yes. How did you know? Once again, like this isn't inaccurate. 
because you know whatever you think about the accuracy or legitimate le- legitimacy it's like the language is iconic but also like th- that's that's so obvious oh i found that's- a i I'm, I'm looking through that quiz online and i found one that you might know the answer to so here's here's a fun oh, one God, what are they gonna say about the jews what are they gonna say about <laughs> rabbi us? rabbi leopold Cohn came to america searching for the blank you know that Rabbi Leopold Cohn wasn't actually a rabbi. He was like allegedly not actually a rabbi. I didn't take this pace, so I don't the... actually no, I don't actually know anything about him. I was not this in this pace. I I it's totally on brand for them to be talking about this guy. This is a guy that like I, I think I read about him. Somebody posted a thread about him on a Jewish Twitter a few weeks ago, and so I remember that name. Um, this guy was a Hungarian Jew who came to America and then converted to Christianity and went around trying to convert other Jews. According, oh. yeah. Well, apparently, Pace eleven twenty nine has something to say about him, and I'm I'm sure it's probably very flattering. <laughs> but you you notice when it comes test time, the students aren't actually expected to remember whatever the Pace said about him. It's just a fill in the blank answer. It looks like students in Pace 1129 also learn about the gold standard, railroads, farming before and after the war between the states. That's quote, the war between the states. Uh, The poem, Mm. The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus, Amazing Grace, that stupid song, It Is Well With My Soul. That's in a history class? I told you it's everywhere. Why? I've told you it's everywhere. It's Horatio in a history Spafford, book. man. He's like, the, if the fundies got in control of the country, they would put him on money. If the fundies got control of the country, that would probably be the national anthem. Uh, they put Horatio Spafford on the $1,611 bill. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You know, sometimes I really worry. Sometimes I worry that I have exposed you too much to fundydom. <laughs> The, the fact that you would come up with a $1,611 bill, like the, the fact that you would come up with that, I feel like I've poisoned your mind too much. They put, well, I feel like the fundies would come out with a $3 bill because it would be three for the Trinity. Probably. Yeah. It would be three, uh, it would be three, 12, 40, 70, and uh, six, 1611 Those are all their magic numbers. It's, it's, um, why 70? Uh, because it's, it's a seven. Seven is their other. So um, that's like demonic, though. No, six is. Um, so they wouldn't have a sixty-nine dollar bill. If I were president, I would decree the creation of a sixty-nine dollar bill. Can you imagine how hard it would be to count like a bunch of those if you didn't have like ten or a hundred? That's really impractical. Chuck agrees. Chuck, with you. Chuck agrees with me. <laughs> Where, where, oh, it is well with my soul. Um, I told you it's everywhere. I told you it's literally everywhere. It's a really pretty song, and the lyrics are honestly pretty nice. And I hate it that badly because it is so everywhere. It was in history books. The other things that you learn in Pace 1196, 11, whatever the f is, 1129, uh, are the rise of labor unions, the assassination of President McKinley, and you get to memorize Colossians 4-6. That's it? Well, that's it for one pace. You would typically, so you would have 12 paces in a school year. And I think this is a, I, I picked uh, this one because of the wacky quiz questions, but also because learning, I think this is a, a good example of ACE 
learning about the gold standard, the proliferation of railroads and how railroads changed America, the change from small family farming to corporate farming, those are all great topics, amazing topics for a high school history class. But like half the space in this pace is taken up by like soft anti-union rhetoric, whoever that allegedly fake rabbi was it is well with my soul and bible memory it is well with my soul by horatio he's just like just popping up everywhere man every there is a reason i hate it so vehemently because oh i know do you hate it as well as my soul too chuck clearly does not like uh horatio (laughs) spafford chuck's not not a spafford fan no no there there is a reason i hate it so badly it is because it was truly everywhere throughout my entire teenage years here like how would you how are you supposed to delve into like more in-depth topics though if you don't have class discussions about it that's the question that i have Uh, right you you don't there aren't discussions about history. Right, because you're just sitting there. So, like, you, it's just, like, memorize this stuff. So, can I tell you how my, like, history class would go? Yeah, go for it. So, this is, like, my AP U.S. history when I was in 11th grade, junior year of high school. So, we would have class four days a week because on Wednesday or Thursday, you'd only have half of your classes, but then you'd have them for double the time period. But on, like, Monday... We'd get like a chapter assigned for homework out of the textbook. The class period would probably be our teacher introducing whatever topic of the chapter was, sort of like prefacing things, asking questions, hinting it like to us about what to look for, maybe an occasional rant about bicycles or some. <laughs> These chapters, like they'd be long, they'd be like 20 pages out of the textbook. And at the end, they would have questions and some of them would be factual, like, you know, list Woodrow Wilson's 14 points or something. But then some of them would be like, in your opinion, was the Treaty of Versailles a fair way to end the First World War? And we'd have to answer these questions in our notebook and then hand the notebook in at the end of the week. So on Tuesday, we would come into class and we'd either have like some supplemental material, like a primary source document. Uh, do you know about pri- the difference between primary and secondary sources? Um, a primary source would be like a newspaper article that was written from the time. You see what I'm saying? Or like a a first-person account of something that happened. And then a secondary source would be like somebody who compiles primary sources, like a history book would be a secondary source, and a primary source would be like something from... Uh, like like an artifact from the time oh okay yeah so we would get like a primary source document like 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 an opinion piece or something that was written during that time period or it would be like a a a newspaper article from that time or it'd be like a letter that somebody wrote to somebody else that we have now as a historical document and we would like say okay what were they saying about this time in history what were they like what does that tell us? We would have the supplemental materials and then we would probably have to write a few pages uh, about that document as homework or answer some class questions about it. Like what, like how does this relate to this? What, what are they talking about here? What are they talking about that? What's the meaning of this word? How does that operate in the context of what's going on here historically? Yeah. And so during our double class period, we would probably have some like big class discussion about it and we would have the teacher, um, it would be a part of the discussion with us, but it could be anything from like, did the American colonists have a right to demand freedom from England while they still held slaves to was the U S right to drop the atomic bomb on Japan? Like it would be something like that. And then we'd have to pick a side and try to defend it. 
And I personally remember getting in like a very heated discussion with somebody over the Alien and Sedition Acts. So that's kind of that's how my AP US history would go. But it was all based on like, okay, look at this information, but also look at like what are the the context of it like in a broader sense. So even after we had switched to Abeka and I did have more traditional history classes with the teacher up front taking notes, um, that kind of thing. We didn't have class discussions like that. We did have class discussions, but the, it was getting heated without, with anybody was not encouraged. In the IFB, there's really just nothing to discuss. Things just are. The only thing you do in a discussion is see who can come up with the best words to agree with what you've just been taught. That's that's what it is. That's the opposite of what you want, though. That's what you want if you're in the IFB and there's only one right answer to any question. So you start with an answer and then you look. Isn't Proof that like or like or like supporting evidence or like things that support your conclusion or you mean proof texting? Yes, that's what this a class discussion is really just a public speaking exercise to see who can agree with the material that you've been given in the most eloquent way. So we would get homework mm. questions or discussion questions like in your opinion, was the Treaty of Versailles a fair way to end the First World War? But the text straight up said the Treaty of Versailles was not a fair way to end the First World War. And then the homework question was go find things that support the conclusion that was already in the text, which should be your opinion as well. So in some questions, there was like a very obvious correct answer, obviously, right? Right. But sometimes there wasn't. The thing with my class is that you were given credit based on whether or not you defended your point well. And oftentimes, like, if you took a position that was harder to defend, like, say you were saying, actually, yeah, the Treaty of Versailles was a fair way to end the First World War, which is a much more difficult uh, position to defend, but you defended it well, you would probably get more credit than if you made the more obvious choice. It is so irritating to me that you were like never given this opportunity in class because I could see like if you took this class, you would have been like jazzed for it every time you went to it, you know? So this this is a sidebar, but that is one reason that you are the right co-host for me and for my show and this podcast, our show, because you're you're personally invested in my life to the point of wish wishing that you could time travel me back into your high school AP history class. Yeah, I would time travel myself back into my high school AP history class so that I would pay more attention. <laughs> we could do it together. We'd be Yeah, we could we that's that's the movie that we're going to make actually. No, actually what we would do is we would be hanging out in the back of high school history class and like shooting paper things at each other with rubber bands. That's what we would be doing. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what, what we I was do, doing. No, okay, here's here's the No, and I would have been the, the geeky kid like stop that. I'm trying to get straight aids in this class so i can go to yale see um, i was geeky but i wasn't good at school i was a nerd who wasn't good at school uh, which is a rough i was a nerd who was man. very good at school yeah you know you would have been in all of my classes though because you would have been in the ap classes yeah. you would have been in my theater classes you would have been in my choir classes like we would have like literally had all of our classes together yeah it would it would have been <laughs> so here's the thing here here's the thing so here's our movie our movie idea is we have to try time travel back to like your high school career. And like, I have to time travel back and know you in high school, but you have to time travel back and know me in high school. So you have to go to fundy school oh. and I have to go to real, real high school. 
I would have been pulling so many pranks, uh, busting everybody out of out of fundyism. So you you have to survive a month in in fundy school. God, and Give me a week maybe a, a week is is. <laughs> that would be. You would have been be... like, I don't want to go back. Yeah. So that's that's our that's our that's our our grand movie idea. Oh, what I what I wanted to clarify about class discussions is that I did have one teacher who tried to encourage actual class discussions very late in my high school career. And uh, I hated it because I had never been encouraged to disagree with anything before. And it made it upset me mm. really badly, like really, really badly because the, the teacher would try to get students to like, like, like you described. And it really upset me because he was trying, you know, trying to instigate students towards being more antagonistic towards each other or being more passionate about their opinions. And did anyone else take to it? I don't remember. I was like, I don't remember. I was like so upset by this because like I was being confronted with the idea of like, it's okay to have more than one opinion, like to have different opinions about things. And not just like toe the party line on every single thing, which was not something that anybody had ever told me before. So that was quite upsetting uh, to be confronted with. Wow. And then on top of it, encouraging peers to get very heated with each other and yell at each other and throw things and um, generally un uh, unscholarly behavior, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. So that was it was just like so overwhelming and not OK for me. That I think I was just exposed to that idea way too late. I can totally see that, like in the few, like fifteen years from now, twenty thirty six, Chuck is in high school. You're stealing her U.S. history textbook when she's done with her homework, so that you can learn about all this. Or you could, you know, take a college class, or you know, I mean, you're doing that with sociology with accounting. But yeah. this is like one of those situations. I really think a virtual education doesn't measure up to like in person education, at least when it comes to class discussions. Well, I mean, the the thing is that you can you can learn history without a class discussion. Uh, of course, that's something that's beneficial. But I've been able to to pick up quite a bit from reading and and uh, you know, learn learning on my own after school and college. I had some pretty good college history professors even in the IFB. So I thought that we could wrap up this episode by maybe having us go through some major. I want to say inaccuracies or like weird narratives that you were taught about historical figures or historical events. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, of course, we've also we've already talked about in our ACE episode how paces teach that apartheid was good and welcomed by the people of South Africa, and also how the Loch Ness monster was actually a dinosaur leftover from the flood and proof of young Earth creationism. So those are are sadly going to get left out because we've already discussed them, but I'm sure there's more in the Fundy history classes to cover. For sure. And I, we're mainly going to talk about American history anyway, so that doesn't really apply to those, but let's see. So where do we want to start? We want to start at the beginning. We got Columbus, 1492, Jamestown, Mayflower, Pilgrims, Puritans. What have you got for them? Oh, uh, Columbus. Columbus came to America because he believed the Bible when it said the earth was round instead of listening to modern science that said it was flat, uh, which is why you should believe Mm. the Bible and not modern science. Also, Columbus 
accidentally gave a lot of people smallpox and millions of people died, but it totally wasn't his fault because he was just doing what God told him to do. I mean, I'm sure that he accidentally raped and murdered them as well. It was purely by accident. I mean, a lot of IFB pastors seem to accidentally rape people. It happens. You know, slipped, tripped, and um, <clears throat> became fallen in grace. I'm telling you, Doc, it was one in a million. I was on a ladder changing a light bulb. <laughs> also, the, the pilgrims. Uh, the pilgrims came to America because they were the real Christians and the dirty, almost Catholic Anglicans in England just wouldn't let them let their freak flag fly. So that's not entirely inaccurate, but... That's what I'm saying, though. It's not lies. Like, most of this is not lies. It's just heavily spun in a very particular direction. Okay, so we've got, after that stuff, we've got Founding Fathers. We've got George Washington, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, American Revolution. What have we got? Uh, They were all great because they were all Christians. Washington prayed in Valley Forge, and that's probably why God allowed him to win the Revolutionary War. Even though he went to work on Christmas? Working on Christmas isn't against the rules, unless Christmas happens to be a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, Thomas Jefferson was not great because he was a Christian, but he was pretty great for be- for not being a Christian. Um, he was a deist, and he made his own Bible translation with no miracles. See, this is bonkers to me, though, right? Because it seems like it should be a slam dunk that you could go into the whole, like, you could go whole hog into Thomas Jefferson had all these slaves and he was a rapist and he had tons of illegitimate children and he was a bad guy because he wasn't a Christian. You'd think that that would, that's just such, that's low hanging fruit, man. Yeah, you would think that they would capitalize on that and be like, oh, the founding father who did like the most terrible shit, uh, that's the one that wasn't a Christian and that's why. You would think. But no, uh, Thomas Jefferson is in hell because he didn't believe in Jesus, but it has nothing to do with his relationship, sorry, with an enslaved person who could never possibly have consented because of the total power imbalance with whom he had children. And then I think he enslaved his own children. Didn't he do that's that? true. He did do that. Yeah. That, no, that's all covered under the, the they didn't know slavery was wrong at the time clause. No, uh, dude went to hell because he made a hobby Bible translation. Well, Thomas Jefferson also wrote during that time that he thought slavery slavery was wrong while still owning slaves and behaving like an absolute villain. Uh, See, maybe that yeah. makes the IFB like him more because they're real pros at cognitive dissonance. Okay, so Ben Franklin, on the other hand, he's a guy, he did support the abolition of slavery and the end to the transatlantic slave trade. I wish I could remember what they said about Franklin. The only major thing I remember learning about him in school is about the Poor Richard's Almanac. I just I just don't have a memory of whether they were super into him or not. I had some older secular children's books about some of the founding fathers. So I can also tend to get the information that was in there mixed up with what I was actually learning in school. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing my best to differentiate that and, and only say things that I'm sure I remember learning. Yeah, actually in school. I had this book about John Hancock, and I remember it really vividly about how he signed the Declaration of Independence really big so the king could read it without his glasses. 
Yeah, and I know that your dad is a huge history buff too, so I'm sure that there is plenty of reading material lying around for you to peruse. Oh yeah, all the time. I would just ask, if I had a history question, I would just ask my dad or um, he would lend me biographies um, out of his his uh, giant bookshelves at his office at the church. So I, I read a lot of biographies, even as a kid. My dad loves history in general, but he's a really big presidential history buff. So I know a lot about the presidents and the history of the White House and that sort of thing. Yeah, so this spring, I visited Washington, D.C. for the first time. I got to go to uh, George Washington's estate, in Mount Vernon. Fascinating stuff. Did you ever get to do anything like that? Not for school. For school, we did a lot of local field trips. We didn't really go out of the the general St. Louis area unless it was for like a youth conference or um, something like religiously focused. Being in the St. Louis area, a lot of our local field trips had to do with Lewis and Clark. Uh, we did visit New Salem, Illinois, which is a reconstruction of a town Lincoln lived in before becoming president. And we also visited Lincoln's grave in Springfield. Was this uh, with school or was this with your parents? That was for school. My parents took me and my brothers my senior year of high school on like one last big vacation before we enter the phase where our kids are going off to college. And we went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We saw historic sites in West Virginia. And then we went to Washington, D.C. and we saw the White House tour. We went to the Smithsonian, Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument, Arlington, like the whole D.C. shebang. I was super excited at that age I to bet. visit Kennedy's grave. That was the the big thing of the trip for me. Uh, And then we also did Monticello and Mount Vernon before heading home. It was like a two-week trip. We saw so much. It was amazing. Oh, we also went to um, Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is the town that Mayberry was modeled after. But we've established that you don't know anything about Andy Griffith. Uh, That gave me a thought, though, that I'm going to share at the end um, that I, I think that we should move on real quick and talk about the Civil War. Unless there's something between the revolution and the civil war that you think that we should bring up. The only thing that comes to mind between revolution and civil war that is that um, ACE is a big fan of President Monroe because of his doctrine of isolationism. Weird, but okay. Uh, very specific. I mean, what do you remember being taught between the revolution and the civil war? That like, re- What's the one thing that really stood out to you? The War of 1812? Oh, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, 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 the big thing. Andrew Jackson, the Trail of Tears. Uh, no, the the thing they really focused on was isolationism and how it set us up to win World War Two, like 150 years later. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know. I'm not a historian. That seems very. I'm sure we have historian statistic. listeners who will write us. Uh, anyway, I I want to know what what did they tell you about the Civil War? What did they tell you about slavery? As far and as the Civil War, Lincoln. like. I have a lot of trouble keeping straight exactly what was in school and what was at home and what was in church and what was in books. Like there were a lot of conflicting messages. And so I'm going to stick to the things I absolutely remember from ACE, which would have been when I was first learning about this. I know in school, the narrative that they stuck with was a narrative that I've talked about before on this podcast, which is the idea that slavery in general, is a bad thing. But slavery in the United States, while it was wrong and sinful, really turned out being a good thing in the scheme of things because it introduced enslaved people to Christianity. Um, And otherwise those people would... So there's a verse in... And this is in the Torah, so you may know it. There's a verse, I believe, in Genesis where Joseph... I hope I'm not misattributing this verse to the wrong Bible character. Uh, Joseph... Uh, had the brothers 
sons of Jacob, and he was the favorite, and Jacob gave him the Technicolor dream coat, sorry, the coat of many colors, and uh, the brothers were jealous of his close relationship with his father, so they threw him into a pit, and some they were going to kill him, but some traitors came by, and they sold him into slavery. He ended up going to Egypt. Like, this whole drama unfolded from Joseph's life. And then Joseph later saved his father and his 12 brothers um, when there was a famine in the land, and he had been led by God in a dream to store up seven years' worth of food in Egypt. Familiar with the story? Yes, I'm very familiar with this story. This is from the part of the book that we pay attention to. Yeah, this this is from the the yeah the, the, the OG the the original <laughs> trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> so in that in, in that story, there's there's a quote where where Joseph says, um, "They meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good," acknowledging that his brothers had malicious intent with what they did to him, but that God used those events in his life to bring about God's will and to bring about his ultimate good. That is the phrase and the philosophy that gets applied to slavery. It's not straight up denying that slave owners and um, kidnappers were doing the right thing, but it's also not really digging into their motives or questioning their motivations. Some of the matter is like, well, it was bad, but it was over now. And look at all the millions of people that are Christians that would never have been Christians without this. Which is just gross. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, Christianity among enslaved people was definitely a real religion that they adopted every single time and not sometimes just used as code words for escaping. So that's, that's kind of the, the narrative about the Civil War and slavery. I think they played the cards real close to their chest on the whole um, who started the war and was the war justified bit ACE mm. does persistently call the Civil War the war between the states, um, uh, which is least, interesting. At least they don't call it the War of Northern Aggression. Not that I recall. So, But they don't teach you what the cause of the war was? They don't say that it was, uh, you know? I don't want to make a claim that specific without a pace in front of me to read it from. My memory is suggesting that they took a middle-of-the-road, non-committal route, so the the way that I'm remembering the way that they taught this is something along the lines of they they wrote it in a way where you could interpret it either one of those ways. As I've discussed, though, I like to have sources to back up my memory in the places where my memory is a bit fuzzy. See, I can sort of see why, though, because if they took a hardline states' rights approach, I think that that would have definitely raised some eyebrows. But if they had said this, like it was 100% slavery, they also would have raised some eyebrows and, you know, you can't. That's your bread and butter. You can't piss those people off. Yeah, you have to remember that any Christian curriculum or homeschool curriculum is a for-profit curriculum unless it's uh, being given away for, for free or unless it, there's a reputable nonprofit company behind it. These curriculums, they have to sell copies of their curriculum to make money to continue to have an organization. So they are courting customers all over the country. It's not the same thing as a textbook manufacturer who needs to make a good textbook to be able to sell it to the entire Portland, Oregon school system or the entire Oregon school. I don't even know how that works. Like people buy textbooks by like state, but it's not like that. The uh, Christian textbook companies and uh, non-Christian homeschool textbook and curriculum companies are selling individual copies of their curriculum. So they're courting hundreds and thousands of individual customers all over the country. 
their parents and schools that buy their materials and pastors that endorse their materials for their Christian school or for the homeschoolers in their church. And also, um, ACE likes the fact that in a lot of states, ACE counts as putting your children in school with no further work on the parents' part. Just give them this booklet and a pencil and you're good to go. So because of those factors, the, the you know, mainly the factor that they like staying in business, in my opinion, they try not to ruffle feathers because of that. I think that's pretty obvious. I obviously can't prove what ACE's motivations are, but I think that that motivation is pretty clear. I don't know. Maybe they should come out with an ACE Southern Edition curriculum that teaches you that it was the War of Northern Aggression and it was about states' rights. And instead of memorizing Bible verses, you memorize a recipe for buttermilk biscuits. Gavi, you don't you don't memorize a recipe for buttermilk biscuits. You don't? No. My great grandmother had a bowl of flour in her pantry, like a huge bowl, like like a wok size bowl. Like Pyrex. In her, uh, probably or ceramic, probably like ceramic that was as old as the Civil War. But you had a big old bowl of flour in your pantry that was just for biscuits. And when you want to take when you want to make biscuits, you take the bowl out, you dump some shortening in there, and then you make it into a ball. And then you add enough buttermilk, like enough. How much is and enough? And make a dough. It's enough. That's how much is enough. When it makes the, the right texture and cons- consistency of dough for the amount of biscuits that you want to make. And then you just roll that dough around in the flour. Like not all the flour in the bowl gets incorporated into your biscuits. But like when it's enough, then that's enough. And that's the recipe. And you like put your biscuits in the pan and go on with your life. I guess I showed how much of a yank I am because if I wanted to make them, I'd just have to like Google it. But I'm not <laughs> a biscuit expert. Um, I have a couple good recipes. Uh, I use a recipe if I make biscuits. I'm not nearly the level of my great grandmother, uh, but I certainly don't measure things when I make gravy. You just, you know, you just feel it in your heart. Your ancestors stand over you and whisper instructions into your ear. <laughs> I, have, I have several recipe cards from my grandmother and from like a bunch of her Southern church lady friends. And so many of them have instructions like take a good quantity of butter or <laughs> just enough flour and cook until done. <laughs> so you kind of just like, you kind of have to be real in touch <laughs> with your, your, your ancestors and they just kind of breathe through <laughs> you and then, you know, well, I wouldn't know because I don't even sweeten my tea. So uh, I got to get you a proper glass of sweet tea. Well, there, you know what? I mean, we're about to start a civil war here between sweet tea and unsweetened tea is what's going to happen. But speaking of mm-hmm. the civil war, did they teach you anything weird about Abraham Lincoln? Well, Lincoln was great because he was a Christian. There's a lot of emphasis on a trip that he took to New Orleans where he saw Uh, people being bought and sold and he had a lifelong hatred of slavery because of that incident and and that story is as far as i know that's true um and that is super valid i would be very concerned if that didn't trigger a lifelong hatred of slavery in a person so what grade was this in because this seems like the type of thing that you'd read in like so you're reading like a picture book about lincoln yeah maybe one chapter was like lincoln went to New Orleans, where he saw people being bought and sold, and this made him hate slavery. So he decided that he would grow up to like to end it. Like that's that's the the level yeah. that we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I wish I could help sort out what grade it was in. Uh, I can tell you, it was in elementary rather than in high school, like earlier oh, okay. in a student's education. I'm sure that's the high school texts then. got more into him in ACE. Uh, I don't remember him being as much of a major figure in Abeka. But there was definitely this narrative of people only do things for one reason. 
especially ACE is especially bad about this. Abeka's maybe a little bit better. But the, the narrative when talking about historical people is that people are either good or evil and have either good or evil motivations. Lincoln freed the slaves because he was a, by himself, because he was a good person who loved God and slavery made him feel sad. It doesn't mention that he chose to do that on a day that was strategic for the Union. It doesn't mention that there was political pressure on him both to sign the Emancipation Proclamation and not to sign it. I am in no way saying that Lincoln didn't give a f about enslaved people and only acted for his own political good. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a major lack of nuance. Like Lincoln, as, as far as I know from what I've studied after, Lincoln did what he did because he personally felt that it was right and because it was strategic for the army of which he was the commander in chief. And because it was a political move. And all of those things can be true at the same time. Just because he had other motivations doesn't mean that he didn't personally feel that it was right as well. Right. But the the the, the failure of, uh, of the Christian history text that I read on this topic, it, it isn't that they said something that wasn't true. It's that they really oversimplify uh, the narrative about a lot of historical people. So I'm sure that it also fails to mention that Lincoln had like zero plans or intention to end slavery when he was elected president and that the southern states essentially seceded because of they were just paranoid that the Lincoln and the Republicans would come in and abolish slavery, which ironically then only happened because the southern states seceded. So the, it was the Union states that were left and they had the power to abolish slavery. And only let the southern states back into the union when they agreed that they would have to abolish slavery as well. ACE in, in this in this um, or the Christian education system in general is teaching you this one tiny kernel of history. Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on such and so day, and it was January first. And I struggled to remember what year. If it was eighteen, what is it? Sixty six, sixty seven, sixty six. Before that. Is, wait, what What are we talking about? Oh, uh, what the, day did he sign the Emancipation Proclamation? I know it went into it effect si on January 1st. It, I think it was probably 65. Okay. The war, have, was, or the war ended in 65, I think. That sounds right. I, I don't yeah. know why I'm spacing on that right now. Anyway, that's, it's true. It's correct. So, like He did sign the Emancipation Proclamation on that day. But the subtext that they're also teaching is... People only do things for one reason. Either you belong to God and you do things for God or you belong to Satan and do things for him. Everyone is either good or evil. A good person doesn't do evil things. A good person follows the rules and follows God's law. So it's teaching black and white thinking and disguising it as history because there is a, a piece of true actual history in there. And that's called brainwashing. Yeah. So I'm going to why don't we go through a few other uh, things? Why don't we skip 100 years or so? or almost 100 years. So what are we talking about with the Great Depression, with the New Deal, with World War II, with Franklin Roosevelt? I think what I learned about the Depression was probably pretty standard. I also had the American Girl Kit books, so I learned from those. Was she um, the Depression one? Yeah, she was the, the girl from the Depression era. Uh, as a side note, I cannot wait to buy every single American Girl book series for Chuck because I loved those growing up. Are you so going to get her the dolls, too? If she wants them, yeah, absolutely. Damn, you got to be like, that's like a flex right there. You know what I'm saying? Those, they're not cheap. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got one for like a really special occasion present one time. When, like when I was a kid, I had one. Um, Which one was it? One, why don't you? Oh, you he wouldn't know. You are I not. Would, I wouldn't know about this. You're not like into like femme culture. Uh, I am going to. I don't gonna... know American Girl dolls. 
I don't know. Okay, which... I'm going to give everyone who is a former American Girl doll collector uh, a couple seconds here. Go ahead and just yell it right out if you're on the bus, if you're driving, if you're working with your earbuds in. I don't care. Uh, go ahead and, and and say which American Girl doll you think I had. Okay, did you say Samantha? Because you were absolutely right. <laughs> uh, which one's Samantha? What does she do? The the 1904. She's the... um. The the yeah she's the one from 1904 and and she had the first movie she was the first one to get a movie what and does she Anna do? Sophia Robb played her does she do like she's she in 1904. is she is a rich girl and she comes to be aware that there are children working in factories and that's kind of that's kind of her conflict is like how privileged she is and um, understanding that other people don't have that same privilege and like becoming aware of the world around her and like the politics that influence the world around her. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. So what does she get into like labor and stuff and like unions? Yeah, and- she gets like that is like the the kind of her her arc. Wow. Is, like, and she's also super into mystery. So there's some Samantha mystery books as well. And I I cannot wait till this episode comes out because I guarantee you that we're gonna get uh tweets and Facebook group messages about people who knew exactly what American Girl doll I probably had growing up. They'll probably say which one they had. Yes. It's going to be yeah. great. It's going to be fun. Um, I loved all of the books, but uh, but Samantha was my main girl. But that was mainly what you remembered from that, was that you you learned about it. nothing wild or nothing crazy about About World War II? No. Um, I remember something, something about Franklin Roosevelt being a socialist, or I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I had grandparents who lived through the Depression, uh, my dad is a late in life child of his parents. So my dad's parents were children during the depression, like young enough or old enough to actually remember and be able to tell stories. So I heard first person stories from my grandparents um, from the depression. So I did learn a lot about that growing up, just not necessarily from school. Yeah. My grandparents also lived through it, but also my parents are like 10 years older than your parents. So. Yeah, and yeah. my my grandparents are probably the same age as your grandparents, but my parents yeah. are younger than your parents. Yeah, that makes sense. So after the Second World War, we had the Cold War. What did you learn about the Cold War in American history? Um, the Cold War is when the Russians got nuclear weapons, but the great and wonderful Ronald Reagan saved us all. I distinctly remember ACE making 100% sure we knew about Star Wars, the Strategic Defense Initiative. And this is also in the same section where we got a extremely detailed lesson on the Six-Day War in Israel and how God miraculously fought the war for Israel and gave them the Iron Dome to protect Israel. Uh, Um, To be clear, we weren't taught that God personally invented the Iron Dome, uh, but I do remember it being implied that he did help out with the process. They didn't get the Iron Dome until like much, much, much later. That's like a a recent thing. Oh, okay. That's well, wild maybe that, that they taught you about that. Huh. Um, well, yeah. That's they, I so don't, funny. I am not saying that they taught us that the Iron Dome was at the same time as the Six-Day War. Um, we had to memorize like stuff that happened on each day of the Six-Day War and how that correlates with the miracles that God did bringing the uh, people out of Egypt. Mm. Like it was super intense, like having to memorize That's all of this so stuff about weird. the Six Day War, and I don't remember. I'm not uh, attempting to be rude, but I don't remember any of it. That's that's <laughs> so wild. 
Mm. They were like super into like God's merit. We had to memorize like all these specific miracles that God did during the Six Day War. And because God wants Israel to be a country so that the rapture can happen. I'm so annoyed. That might by be that. a new sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. Oh, I'm going to leave that one alone. Mm. <laughs> Okay, what did you learn about the '90s? Well, okay, let's just skip all skip all of that. <laughs> 1990s, we got Soviet Union. Soviet Union uh, falls on its face. We got Boris Yeltsin coming in. We got Bill Clinton. We got. Uh, so I know Nirvana. we learned. Uh, we did not learn about Nirvana. I know we learned about some Soviet leaders. I remember seeing their pictures in my paces. When I was a little kid in ACE, I was super engaged in it and really like an active participant in my own learning. Of course, you have to be with ACE because you are your own everything, teacher and whatever. By the time I got into high school, I was pretty I was I was really burned out. So, I was not paying attention. I was still making straight A's in school, but I wasn't paying any attention to it at all. Right, cuz you can just skate through and not actually learn the right. material as long as you get the grade. Right. So I was just memorizing stuff for the test, um, probably because I was completely burned out because I was working for the church all the time. And yeah, soul win. Yeah. And like, like so I was like soul winning. I was uh, playing piano for the church. I was in music groups. I was in like so many different activities. And I was also getting bullied really badly in school. So there was there was like a lot going on and I didn't really care. I know that we learned about some Soviet leaders. I just like really don't remember what we learned other than maybe needing to memorize their names. In my high school history classes where we used Abeka and had a teacher, like an actual teacher, we never got to the end of the Vietnam War because and I've had more than one high school or high school or college professor do this. History teachers tend to have something that they're extremely interested in and they get sidetracked on that and they throw their lesson plans out the window and they spend like three days on the Battle of Gettysburg or the assassination of Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand or whatever their like special interest is. And then they get super behind, and then they never actually finish the history text. And that's happened to me. Honestly, that's happened to me in high school at Hiles Anderson and at Pensacola. So I feel like that's pretty universal. So what, you get to 1973, like, and you're just like, and eventually the war ended and whatever. No, like, oh, this was a monumental failure and a absolute cluster and a terrible decision like from the jump. Right. So it's just- like the last two days of school. And the teacher is up there like, don't worry about it. None of this is going to be on because of the final exams like the next day. And the teacher's up there like, don't worry about it. None of this is going to be in the final. But uh, the Vietnam War ended. Then we had President Reagan and the Star Wars. Da, 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 and like just like rattles through everything. I found an interesting quote on the ACE website describing social studies pace 1096, which is towards the end of the American history curriculum. Pace 1096, uh, here's the quote, covers a nation adrift, Presidents Nixon to Obama's administration, and history in review. That's a long time period. That's like 40 years of... Well, it's a twelfth of your curriculum for the year, not for a semester. And they call it a nation adrift. That's the phrase that stuck out to me. Is that phrase lines up really well with what I remember from that pace? I would have taken pace. Oh, no, pace 1096. I'm sorry. That's the uh, towards the end of the eighth grade history, not the American history that's in high school. So you would have learned this. You would have taken this one. 
Right. Um, so I would have taken Pace 1096 in 2006 or 2007. So the edition I was working from would have been the edition that ended with Clinton. I think, I don't think it had been updated enough to include the Bush presidency or 9-11, but I'm not 100% certain of that. I don't know how to track down what edition of that pace I took. What I absolutely remember is the Nation Adrift message being really heavily pushed. What that pace had to say was that anything that happened after Vietnam was just bad. I don't remember what all it covered about Clinton except for his, quote, immorality. That's a way of putting it. But mm. What it comes down to, if you think about what I said, it's just that modern history wasn't taught well in my earlier history classes in the paces. And then it wasn't taught well again in my later history classes because my high school and college teachers didn't really get to it. So pretty much everything I know about the world after the Vietnam War is things that I've sought out myself. And I'm constantly learning new information that I didn't have before. I do remember um, in school in general, some general messaging about uh, the hippies ruined everything. Abortion is a sign that our nation is going to hell. Uh, women started working outside of the home, and that was extremely bad. And TV is also bad. So that was like that sort of propaganda was just being taught in school. But mm. I can't, uh, I can't really give a lot of specifics about that because, like I said, it just wasn't taught well enough for me to retain very much. Wow. Okay. So something that I just want to say that struck me a little bit earlier. Um, because I think that also uh, reminded me of this as well, is that we were talking about how religious education versus secular education and how it's absolutely within a person's rights to give their kids a religious education as long as it doesn't come at the expense of, of learning important subjects. The, so sort of the way that that looks in my mind is you send your kid to like a reputable school five days a week. You know, it can even be like a religious school as long as it's, you know, teaching them stuff that makes sense, you know, the like. And then if you want to do more religion on your own time, you know, go for it. But for you, it seems to me like you went to the school and you were taught religion pretending to be actual school and then any real history subjects or any like real subjects in general, that was the extracurricular. Literally, that's like opposite of how it's supposed to be. That's sort of how yeah. it, it feels to me when you're saying this stuff. And I usually put the words together that sew the whole, ep the whole episode up, but I, I don't think I could have said it better than religion pretending to be actual school. And I, I'm 100% with you. Personally, I don't even have a problem with private religious schools opening each class in prayer or having chapel services or requiring a Bible class every semester. Or even like, I don't know, if you want to have a scripture memory verse that applies to history class that you want your history class to learn during the semester, fine, like fine, I, I don't care. But the way that religion has been infused into every word and every opinion uh, of subjects like, like English and science and history, it fundamentally alters the composition of those subjects. And it also deprives students of things that they should be learning. It wastes significant amounts of time. Saying a memory verse for, saying a prayer and going through a memory verse at the beginning of a class period takes up two to three minutes of the class period. If you're a religious school and you're, you've chosen to send your kid to a religious school, 
that's that's your preference that's your bag like whatever when you infuse every word of a history text or a history lesson with religion you've not you've taken away far more than 2 or 3 minutes to say a prayer at the beginning and you are taking up all of this space where students should be and could be learning more. And that's what's unacceptable to me. Yeah, for this should absolutely be illegal. I honestly have no idea how it isn't. How is nobody like taking a look at this ACE? and saying, how is, how is this legal? How is this I'll allowed? I'll tell you how it's legal. How? Two words, Betsy DeVos. Right. She was the Secretary of Education for several years. She was years. the Secretary yeah. of Education. Yeah, but she this worked is the thing really hard on that private school voucher thing. And... She's also connected to the Family Research Council, which is one of the biggest conservative PACs in D.C. And she is also personally connected to the people who are who run the company that is ACE, who are also connected to the FRC, which is also connected to the Duggars. Like, it, but it like all roads lead to Betsy DeVos and the Family Research Council. Spiderweb, holy sh! Yeah, like, uh, man, this should be illegal, man. This this should absolutely be illegal. I just, I just feel like there are so many reasonable ways to give your kids a religious education. I'm just not willing at this point in my personal journey. Sorry, I've been watching a bit of Bachelor, my personal journey. I'm, I'm not willing to just say that homeschooling is bad. I do not want to homeschool. I do not plan on ever homeschooling with the possible exception of doing like preschool or kindergarten uh, if there's a situation that where I need to. I'm, I'm just 100% not anti-homeschooling. But I just think there should be regulations for homeschools and for Christian schools and that we should improve the public school education system. The whole thing is just a disgrace. And it has nothing to do with uh, people who conscientiously homeschool and put so much effort into it and give their kids a good education and find ways to socialize their children. And it has nothing to do with uh, the fact that I mean, we have really great teachers that are in our education system right now, do all of this work that go above and beyond what really needs to be done. And they work so hard. Mm -hmm. It's not the teacher's fault who work 50 and 60 hour weeks and buy school supplies out of their own money and, and stay late and go in early and personally help out their students and buy kids lunches they can't afford to eat and so on and so forth. It's not them either. It's like there there needs to be there needs to be education reform, honestly. Anyway, just wanted to let I, I know we have homeschool uh, parents who listen and I know we have teachers who listen and I am not trying to demonize either one of y'all. Y'all y'all are good. It's the uh probably Betsy DeVos. It's probably just her fault. Yeah. That's probably it's nice nice to have a villain to just pin everything on, right? Yeah, except I never mind. Except for it might actually be true. Yeah, this this time is actually true, not just a scapegoat. Uh, but I think it's about time for us to end this episode. Uh, if you want to uh, join our subreddit, that's going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Facebook is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Come and join us. It's super fun. We talk about stuff all the time. We have the spicy drama in there about everything that's going on. You know you want to hear it. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram at uh, Leaving Eden Podcast. On Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, I sure do. Um, do come over to the subreddit. I had I really just kind of got... I don't know. I, I don't know. I got super excited about making the fundy terms glossary over there. So please submit terms that you'd like me to define or submit terms and definitions. Uh, I just, I don't know why that really brought me joy this week, but I want to keep doing that. 
Oh, right, my social media. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. You can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And hope that you guys have a nice day. Bye-bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.